This Week in Startups is brought to you by Gusto. Running a startup is hard work, but thankfully, Gusto makes payroll easy. They also offer flexible benefits, onboarding, and so much more. Twist listeners get three months free at gusto.com slash twist and Modloft, the only modern furniture brand that offers elite design, fair prices, and delivery in days, not months. See why founders, VCs, and celebrities choose Modloft. Get 15% off and free shipping at modloft.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm really excited about uh, our next guest. Jason Fried is with us. You know him as the co-founder, along with my good friend, David Hanmeyer Hansen, who's had two amazing um, episodes of this podcast over the years. We've had great discussions, um, and they co-founded Basecamp together back in, I think, 99. Uh, and they have a new product that just came out called Hey.com that's taking the interwebs by storm. I've been trying to have Jason... On the po- I don't know. We've been talking about this for five or six years in the making, <laughs> but here we are. Uh, how's everything going in the pandemic? I'm, I'm, I, mm. Are you in Canada, Chicago? I don't know where you are. <laughs> I'm in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. It's, Chicago's been pretty rough. Um, yeah, like every place, you know, and certainly many people have it far worse. But we've been we've been home, just kind of doing our thing, wearing the masks and staying out of the public basically as much as we can. We got yeah. two young kids, so it's challenging, you know, for them and for mm. us, and you know, it sucks. Yeah, and it it does feel like other countries have figured out how to beat this mm-hmm. by just simply wearing a mask. And we as Americans, it is just so confounding that we have to go through this pain and suffering and death and politicize something as silly as wearing a 69, 79 cent mask. It's my body. In perpetuity, too. I mean, this is just not going to end. It seems like it seems like basically the U.S. is thrown in the towel and said, like, we're just going to wait for the vaccine. Fuck it. Like, what a stupid <laughs> strategic yeah. decision when you think about it, because nobody knows when the vaccine is here. If uh, even. If even. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, remember, uh, I think we're old enough to both remember when HIV and AIDS occurred and they're like, vaccine is going to be here any day now. Yeah. And, and that still never arrived, right? I mean, they have ways to mitigate it, but there's no cure for HIV. There's only been a few vaccines, really, right. that have done anything. Um, you've got what? You've got, uh, what is it, Hep, hep A or Hep C? I don't know which one, one has of the them, vaccine. One of them, yeah. yeah. Um, you've, got, you've got sort of HIV sort of now, kind of, finally, yeah. uh, to some degree. You've got HPV. You've got uh, polio, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, there's been what so, some of the, um, is it? Yellow fever, I, I can't remember one of them. Like there have, there's been a lot of diseases and only a handful of vaccines that have right. been really worth. The good really news is we have worthwhile. so much so much being thrown at this one that maybe this time will be different. Yeah. But then you read the statistic that people are like, oh, I'm not taking the Bill Gates chip world domination virus, you know, vaccine. And you're like, oh my lord, this is now becoming like a Darwinian IQ test. Like it's, <laughs> bizarre. It's, it's terrifying literally it really it, it, it it's a <sighs> long-term terrifying and then if you think about the business we're in we're so lucky and fortunate to be behind keyboards but you think about anybody else in the real world and and we have a couple of investments that operate in the real world and overnight their revenue went to zero and then other people in our portfolio and you probably experienced this with your line of products at basecamp and now hey.com you get a disproportionate amount of attention and growth 
And so it, it's just such a weird phenomenon, and I, we, we have to get through this, um, and yeah, hopefully I mean, we'll have a change in leadership Yeah, let's point. hope so. Let's hope so. I mean, I think, um, yeah, in, in some ways, you know, if we, we were in the right space, let's say, collaborative software and whatnot, but like, hey, the next thing could be the internet goes down for three months. Like, who knows? Then we're screwed. I mean, like, anyone yes. can be screwed at any time. Who knows? So you can't really count your blessings here. Yeah, and it is interesting, the resiliency of the human species other countries, they did it. We have to do it. Um, so moving on, um, and I think it's important we have this discussion. Um, uh, congratulations on the launch of Hey.com. I got on it very quickly. Unfortunately, um, Jason at Hey.com was taken by some squatter. Yeah, that guy's so, a bastard. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to get my Jason on there. I'll sell but it to you. Tell me the background of why you felt in the year 2020, or I think maybe you started working on this in 2019, actually, why you felt in 2019 would be a good idea to start an email competitor or a new email yeah, product. So, right. So we actually started a couple of years ago. But you know, here's the thing. like The last time... Okay, let me step back. We're in email all day long. Most people are. All day. No matter what else you use, you're also probably in email too. And the last time email was exciting was 16 years ago when Gmail launched in 2004. You probably remember that. I remember oh, yeah. that. Waiting for invites, get, yep. trying to get an... You know, 16 years, man. Right. It's been 16 years. And so, you know, we just, we have this thing where we just get really easily frustrated by like bad, by things that haven't improved for a right. long time. Yeah. And that's what, kind of why we built Basecamp back in 2004 is because project management hadn't improved for a long time. And so we spent our time in email as well. So we said like, let's, let's worry about this. Can we do something better? Now, originally though, it started out as a CR, we were experimenting with um, improving Highrise, which is our CRM tool. Yes. We're going to make a whole new version of, of Highrise, but as we got into it, we started making all these email specific features, and we're like, you know what? We can, we want this for all of our email, not just business email, but personal email. I want to manage email this way, so we started going deeper into email and started to really pay attention to all the workarounds because email is one workaround after another. Like for example, you need to get back to someone. What do you do? Well, you mark the email unread. That's not that's a total hack. It's like a total workaround. It's a complete. But hack, that's yeah. what everyone does, right? Yeah. And so we just kind of started piling up these, these annoying frustrations with these workarounds that we all have to go through every single day. And we've just sort of given in and put up with them. And we're like, that shouldn't be that way anymore. So uh, we started digging in and, and start, so, you know, a lot of people use email. It's, everyone likes to think it's dead. It's not anywhere near dead. It's very vibrant, very alive. It's the only real sort of widest common denominator communication medium that works no matter where you are, no matter what provider you use. And it's a wonderful thing. And we want to breathe new life into it. And the basic protocol of email has not changed all that much. It really is interesting how open source, you know, platforms, whether it's the web uh, or email, seem to be the most resistant um, to corporate ownership or closing. Obviously, podcasting being the other one that has long been open with RSS feeds and attachments, although maybe that's at risk now um, because of uh, certain players wanting to have exclusives. How did you get the... I'm, I'm wondering if the under... Did you consider taking the underlying protocol of email and changing that in some way? And maybe you could educate us on that underlying protocol. Who sets the standards for how email changes over time? Yeah, well, for, first off, at a slightly higher level, when we attacked this problem, we decided we're not going to build a client. We're not going to build something that lives on top of Gmail, right? for example, or Outlook or whatever. Because 
you can't really innovate when you're on top of someone else's platform like that. There's so many things that are just fixed in place and, and there's so much legacy in email that you just can't really improve that much around the margins, which is why most email clients have been focused on perhaps speed or interface design or like some stuff, but you really can't get too deep with improvements. And so with Hey, Hey is actually an email service. It's mm. not something that lives on top of Gmail. It's a service. We're an email provider. Right. So when you sign up for Hey, H-E-Y dot com, you get an H-E-Y dot com email address. And because we can sort of control that we're vertically integrated, essentially, we make the clients and we make the service, we can do all sorts of things that just clients can't do. Now, the thing though is with email, of course, is that it has to be interoperable. So you have to make sure that, you know, if we send an email out of, hey, it can be reached, you know, someone in Gmail can get it and someone from Gmail can email us. So we have to follow those basic standards. As far as who defines those, I don't even know. Yeah. Um, but but we know what they are. Like you, yeah. that's the beauty of email, of course, which is different than, let's say, SMS in some countries, like even sending an SMS doesn't work. Uh, yeah, that's why you need countries. Twilio to kind of be your ambassador to just resolve all of those issues, Bingo. which are super complicated. Which uh, is what's so great about email is yeah. that email doesn't have those things. So we had to, of course, make it work with that at that yeah. level. But everything else we could redo and reinvent and and and, and reintroduce in, in new ways, the way you organize email, the way the, the control you have over who can email you, all these things we can do because we're vertically integrated all the way down to the bottom. So that was key for us. How did you get hey.com? That is a three-letter <laughs> domain name in the English language. And everybody knows that if it's in the English language and the shorter is the more expensive, I think it's a three to $10 million email on the open market. How did you get it? What did you pay for it? Well, first, I just can't tell you what we paid for because we okay. have an NDA. Um, oh, great question though. I mean, that's the question I would ask. Too. It's definitely seven figures. Okay. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say anything. Mm. Truly. I can't, I can just tell you it was a lot of money. Let's just say that. Who's, there who was no, had it? Who had no it? Bargain did the domain squatter had it or a company had it? No, this is what's so cool. A, an individual guy had it who registered wow. in 1995. <clears throat> Good for him. Who had been using it for his own business. He was a, a like a video marketing guy mm -hmm. and, um, he owned Hey.com. And so I went to Hey.com. Here's the, th here's the thing. We used to, the product was originally called Haystack because we own H-A-Y-S-T-A-C-K.com. Mm -hmm. We own Haystack.com. Nice one. Yeah, it's a good domain. Um, but ne Needle in a Haystack. There you go. Perfect. I mean, it's perfect for email, but it yeah. didn't make a good email address because it's kind of long and yep. we want to get something even shorter than Gmail, let's say. So yeah. for 30 years, I've been emailing. I always pretty much start my emails with, hey, Jason, hey, Bill, hey, Susan, hey, whatever, yep. right? And so I'm like, that should be it. And in Basecamp, we have a menu called Hey, which is where yeah. all your notifications go. I'm like, I want to get Hey.com. So I, I went to Hey.com and saw who owned it. And I wrote a little email at the bottom. Like on the, it was like webmaster at Hey or yeah, contact yeah, yeah. at Hey or whatever, right? So I wrote the guy and it took about 18 months or so of negotiation, two, two years almost back and forth. Um, I wrote a whole blog post about this. So if you search for how we acquired hey.com, you can read all the details. And I shared some of the emails with the, with the fellow's permission. We went back and forth, a lot of false starts, some offers that weren't accepted, obviously, some negotiation, some, some dead spots where I'm like, there's no way this is going to happen. And then it just kind of happened in the end. And he made out great. We're happy with it. Um, I'm assuming he has a little product. upside in it too. So that's always good. If, he, if this becomes a billion dollar company, he might get a little something on the back end, I assume. I can't speak to any of those particular. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's I mean, just for people who are, you know, what I'll tell people who are listening, who are founders, which is everybody listening, basically, except for the VCs, um, is you got to play the long game with domains. And it's a matter of, you know, the cash payment and what could happen in the back end. It took me 
over 10 years to get inside.com. That was a long mm-hmm. one. Mahalo mm-hmm. and Kakua took me a year each or two. And then I had 20.com, 20.com, which I bought for 70 grand and wound up selling for millions when the China, when the Chinese internet culture decided numbers were better than words. You had 20? You had 20.com? I had 20. That was the original wow. idea for Mahalo was going to be the top 20 uh. search results picked by humans. But then I went to Hawaii and you know the word mahalo.com just felt you know just better to me and and it, it tested better so I went with mahalo. When we get back from this quick break, I want to know about the App Store feud and the battle you got into with Apple over them wanting to take 30% of the revenue from hey.com in perpetuity when we get back on this week in startups. Hey, look 2020 has been the year of many things, but if you own a startup, this could also be the year you switch to a better payroll provider, and Gusto is that provider. They weren't built just for small business. No, they were built for the people behind them. Their online payroll system is so easy to use. We use it ourselves, and Gusto can automatically calculate paychecks and file all your payroll taxes, so you get that right. Three out of four customers say they run payroll in 10 minutes or less, which means you'll have more time to run your business, focus on your customers, and build an absolutely delightful product or service, just like Gusto is for us. Plus, they offer unlimited payrolls for one monthly price. There are no hidden fees. Gusto does way more than just payroll. Nope, they're going to help you with time tracking, health insurance, 401ks, onboarding your new team members. Of course, commuter benefits, which some people love. Offer letters, which are super important. They make you look professional. And you get access to HR experts when you need them. And if you're moving from another provider, they can transfer all your data. And they'll do all that for you, make it easy breezy. And it's no surprise that 94% of customers are likely to recommend Gusto to another founder. Because you're a listener of This Week in Startups, you get three months totally all you have to do is go to gusto.com slash twist, G-U-S-T-O.com slash twist. Again, gusto.com slash twist. I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Get started today. I use it. I love it. It makes everything easy breezy for us. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, finally, Jason Freed is on the podcast. He's Jason Freed, F-R-I-E-D, on the Twitter. I'm at Jason. However, he's Jason at hey.com, and I'm Jason Calacanis at Hey.com. So <laughs> I got the Twitter. He got the hey.com. Uh, and we all know um, Apple controls uh, their ecosystem with an iron fist. They want complete and utter control. This is a Steve Jobs legacy. He wanted to have the computers work, you know, the desktop computers work flawlessly, easily. Uh, but this has now extended into a money-making strategy, not just user uh, ease. And we've all experienced it buying a charging cable over the years and having it stop working or working and paying $40 for a charger when they should cost $3. You know, and you buy a USB standard char- USB-C standard charger. Um, the App Store has some interesting rules around apple cannot apple does not allow anybody else to run an app store on their ios devices so if apple sells apps 
Amazon, as an example, can't have or Google can't have an app store on the iOS device, nor can they have a bookstore or an audio bookstore. So if you've ever had the I have an iPhone, I listen to Audible and love Audible, I got 400 books in my collection. We've all had this experience of having to go to the web browser to buy a book that we just bookmarked in the app because Apple wants their VIG. You guys are letting people, people have to sign up for email at hey.com and pay for it. You get 30 days free. After that, you pay $99 a year. Pretty fair price. A, a lot more than the free Gmail account. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what would explain to people who don't understand the beef you had with Apple, how it went down and, and what your position was and what their position was? Yeah, so um, there's a lot to it. So first off, we released, or we followed all the unwritten rules. So the unwritten rules basically are, if you have a software as a service product, which is what Hey is, um, and you allow signups on the web, well, you're not allowed to say sign up on the web on the iOS app or, or subscribe or have any billing information or mention money in any possible way in the app if you don't want to pay Apple 30%, which we don't. Um, this is what we do with Basecamp. This is what Salesforce does. This is what Slack does. This is what Netflix, everyone does. Netflix, you just Spotify. All of them, right? Um, you don't almost all of things. them, yeah. Yeah, almost all of them. You don't, you don't mention these things because this is the unwritten rule. As long as you don't mention that, Apple's been cool with it in the past. So that's what we did with Hey. We did the same thing we've done with Basecamp. Basecamp's been in the App Store for eight years. Never a problem. We submit the app, version 1.0, to the App Store. Um, Apple approves it. So mm. we're in the App Store. Wonderful. We're all happy. We're thrilled. Um, then we release 1.02 to the app store, which is a bug fix update. And they reject us. And they reject mm. us on the grounds that we basically owe them 30% of our revenues because we are a paid product. And you have to offer, if you have a paid product, you have to offer in-app payments, Apple's payment system within the apps to allow people to subscribe, which was news to us because we followed all the unwritten rules everyone yeah. else followed, you know, and, and we never had that experience with Basecamp. So we, we thought there must have been a problem. And so we filed, we filed an appeal, basically. And then they came down saying, no, no, we're right. We as an Apple, we're right. You owe us 30%. Um, or, and or if you, don't, you know, if you don't comply, we might kick you out of the App Store, essentially. Like completely out. Even though we already approved your 1.0, we might just kick you out. Right. And so that's an existential threat. I mean, if you're not in the App Store and you have an email product, like, you're, you're done. in trouble. Yeah. You're done, right? Well, also so, because the Apple consumer are the are the the vanguard they yes. are the early adopters and let's face it they are um they pay they pay and yeah. anybody who's had an app in android gets you know three times the downloads in android and you know one third the revenue or something in that ballpark yes so we had to be there yeah. and so you know um then you know so we filed this appeal they rejected us uh and then we kind of went to the press which is what apple says you shouldn't do <laughs> they have a whole famous no they thing, like, do not don't like go that. to the press yeah so but you know like here we are we're a small independent company um we we have a lot of followers we have a lot of fans uh the product was was doing so like the launch of hey was unlike anything we've ever launched before the enthusiasm was off the charts and here we are, unable to bring simple bug fixes to our customers. That, that's a problem. We don't like that. That's not fair to anybody. So we kind of go to the press and tell the story, and it, it blows up in a, in a big way, huge way. Um, David's leading this charge because David's great on Twitter. He's and particularly he knows how to do this. good at mixing it up. <laughs> yeah. As the ratings from this podcast 
approve and as yeah. our Twitter followers will agree. <laughs> yeah, if you have a sweeps week kind of thing, like you want David on the show. Always, basically. always. Yeah. <laughs> Get him off so, of the sweeps week. <laughs> so anyway, that's so David, you know, took took to Twitter and I took to Twitter, but David really took to Twitter and um we made some noise because this is just flat out unfair. First of all, it's monopolistic. Second of all, it's inconsistent. And here's the thing. We're fortunate that we have Basecamp. We, have a, we already have a business that's functioning, right? If we launched Hay and we didn't have Basecamp, we put two years into this product and we're following the unwritten rules that Apple has. And it seems like it's totally cool. And we put this thing out in the app store and Apple kills it like... We could be out of business instantly, literally. It's bull so, it, it just feels like bullying. It's it it's does. unfair and it's lame. And, and it's impossible for a small business owner, especially an app maker, an individual, to know what's coming from Apple if they change the rules, if they're, the rules are, are selective based on who you are, based on unwritten rules, based on back, back office dealings. It's just like, it's impossible. It's just impossible and unfair. And so we, we went public with this with this notion and, and it got a lot of coverage and a lot of discussion which, this happened to be a week before wwdc which was not planned but it turned out to really i think turn up the heat on apple on this yeah and you know it's it's a different era now and you and i have both as underdogs coming up in the industry you know around the same time we both realized you always fight up and yeah. <clears throat> it is a great marketing strategy and in fact in your book rework uh, the the great money quote is having an enemy gives you a great story to tell customers too. Taking yeah. a stand always stands out. People get stoked by conflict. They take sides. Passions are ignited, and that's a good way to get people to take notice. So, a cynical person might say you knew this was coming and set it up. Yes or no? Well, a cynical person might say that, but yes. absolutely not. I mean, nah. there's no way okay. to. We truly, we, we you didn't followed, know if they would followed, do that. Yeah, I had no clue. And in fact, they they approved 1.0. Like, if our plan was to have them approve 1.0 and then reject the future versions, which had no changes that were material to to payment, that would be like David says, playing 4D chess. Basically, like we put this in the app store. I, I, we wanted none of this controversy. This was a shitty two weeks for us. I mean, it was well. Brutal. It also it sucks was, because you can't make basic fixes. And yes. everybody knows when you hit scale, you get the first 10,000, 20,000 people. Things are going to pop up. What's great about the moment today, though, is five or 10 years ago, you know, Apple uh, wasn't under the scrutiny of the government. Uh, antitrust wasn't such a big concern. Uh, and anybody like I did with Google when I was complaining about their Panda update and the way they treated us at Mahalo or other folks where they would change the SEO rules specifically to kill Yelp and have, you know, Google local above it. I had no way, I mean, and people were like, let it go, Jason, you're, you're being difficult and stop beating up Mac cuts and da, 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 da. But today, if I was in that fight, you know, you've got congressmen and senators and the EU yeah. taking action and, you know, the, 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 the scale of Google and Apple are so huge right now that they're held to a different standard where, you know, I don't think they particularly want to pick a fight with you and, and David. Because it's just not worth it to just extract if you become a hundred million dollar a year business, that thirty million is not worth them losing control of the app store, which is the possibility. Do you think we'll 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 see Apple lose and have to accept third party app stores or or those kind of things on their platform? I I um, I don't think that's gonna happen. It could, but here here's the thing that that's frustrating, I think, about it. Couple things. First of all, 
The 30% is, of course, like what everyone's eager to talk about because it's money and the thing. It's an easy thing to talk about. But but what really frustrated me, and I wrote a, like a letter about this, which I posted on our site, was that we have a multi-platform business. And what's happened over the last 10 years is multi-platform businesses have sprung up. Like t- eight years ago or whenever they introduced, well, they introduced the App Store 10 years ago, but in-app payments is a more relatively nuanced, newer thing. Businesses have changed. We're not just an app maker. We don't just make an app. We, right. we make a service. Our service is available on the web, on Android, on on Windows, on the Mac, on Linux. Like we have to support our customers in different places, and we have to do it the same way. What's really frustrating to me as a business owner about the App Store, forgetting the thirty percent just for a moment, is that I can't take care of my customers the same way. Mm-hmm. For example, a lot of people don't know this. If you send your customers through the in-app payment system through Apple. You, don't, you can't help them with billing issues. You can't help them with refunds. You can't help them with hardship discounts. You can't give them away for free. You can't do a whole bunch of things because Apple controls that whole process. Right. And if a customer has a problem, you have to say, go ask Apple. And you know what that ends up being? It's sometimes it's three to five day response time. Well, we have if one you hour even, response If you time. even get a response. If you even get a response. We have invested heavily yeah. in, in amazing customers that usually get responses from us within an hour. And so for me to say like, Hey, all you iOS users, I can't provide a great level of customer service, which we've invested in for 20 years building. Yeah. And back-end systems that we've built to make this so simple for people. Like, we can't help you. It's such a terrible experience for the user. And Apple loves to say that the in-app payment system is beneficial for the user. And yes, the individual process of maybe buying the thing is nice. Apple no does friction. a great job That's great. That. Yeah, no friction. Wonderful. And your privacy. I don't know if you saw now where you can log in with your email but they yes. don't give the email to the person. I love that. It's wonderful. There's Apple some wonderful so aspects things to it. going for them. Yeah, so the, the wonderful but aspects, but... Uh, there's more I, to it, right? There's more Payment, to it. It's very Payment nuanced. is just the yeah. smallest little detail, truly, about yeah, really taking care of a customer. And if a customer's paying me 100 bucks a year, they expect me to help them. And for me to say, I can't, that's wrong. So I, I think what's going to happen is, and I understand how this happens, like, there's new businesses, there's new business models, there's new platforms, there's new stuff that's changing. Apple's a big, huge company with a big entrenched you know, setup. And it's going to take a while for them, I think, to adjust ultimately to the reality on the ground that not every business runs only Apple stuff. And once they realize that, I know, I'm sure they know it now, but yeah. it takes a lot of energy to move a big, massive object like Apple. They will probably ultimately allow people to choose their payment processors to maybe... One of the things I'd love to see happen is sort of a... Um, uh, a sort of a decoupling of the, of the charges. So let's say we have 30%. This is an idea. I, I don't know where this goes, but here's an idea, right? 30% is their number. Well, how do they attribute the 30? Where do they, where's the 30% come from? What right. Apple typically, because look, credit card charging is between 1.8 and 2.8%, basically. Yeah, That's call, how much it charges. Let's call it 3%, round it up. Fine. 3%, right? Okay. Perfect. So what's the balance? Well, distribution. I don't need distribution. I have my own distribution. Yep. Marketing, discovery. I, I get how if you're a brand new app maker, you don't have a business, you don't need that. I don't, and you might need that. I don't need that at all. No. I can send all my customers. So for me, I'd be happy to pay 3% to Apple perhaps to, to process cards if yeah. that was a choice. I'd also be happy to pay perhaps for the process of reviewing an app that we submit because there's time I wish they would okay. do that. Why don't right? they allow you to pay 100 bucks? Or five hundred bucks, something de minimis, to get your app reviewed. This waiting and waiting is yeah. ridiculous, and I think they do that specifically to have power over you. And this is the Google technique as well, which is if if we make this process opaque, the more opaque we make it, the less you can complain on CNBC, like you know <sighs> David was doing, because right. they're just like, oh no, it's in process. When we get back from this quick break, I want to tell you my favorite feature, which I think is 
absolutely a game changer and everybody will copy. And um, I want to tell you my solution to the Apple App Store problem and get your feedback on it when we come back on this week. And start off with Jason Fried. He is finally on the program. I love modern furniture. I am a modern furniture snob. And what I love most about modern furniture is it looks so clean and gorgeous. And I found a brand that I am obsessed with. It's called Mod Loft, M-O-D-L-O-F-T. Now, some of you are saying, oh, I know Mod Loft. Of course I know Mod Loft. Well, I, I found out about it maybe two years ago because I moved from a house that was like kind of an old uh, Mediterranean style to a modern house and I needed modern furniture. And I kept doing Google searches and I was on Pinterest and it all roads led back to Modloft. And I bought all this Modloft stuff. And I had some other, you know, expensive, like from Italy, fancy, modern stuff. And people like the Modloft stuff better. And it's more affordable. Modloft is now sponsoring this week in startups and giving you 15% off and free shipping if you go to Mod, M-O-D, Loft, L-O-F-T, Modloft.com slash twist. You can finish your entire home. Bedroom, living room, dining room, outdoor. Outdoor is really good. Um, and, of course, they have office stuff, too. Uh, and it's risk-free at-home trials. You can just order it, try it out. If you don't like it, they take it back. Delivery in days, not months. And that's super important to me because a lot of this furniture I found out is, like, bespoke, and it takes six months. I- I'm team in stock. If it's not in stock, I'm done. It's got to be in stock. And you know what? Modloft, everything's always in stock. And these are spectacular pieces that have won international design awards and they'll even do some free interior design consulting to fit your style. The customer service is second to none. I've gotten them on the phone. I've gotten them on email. Super responsive. They know what they're doing. Modloft.com slash twist for 15% off. I love this stuff. Go ahead and check it out. I know you will too. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, Jason Fried is here. If you haven't gotten your hey.com uh, domain in, uh, an email yet, uh, go get it. I'm Jason Calacanis at hey.com. You can go get yours. Uh, but you only get it for free for 30 days after that. It's 14. 19. Oh, it's down days. to 14. It it's started, always been 14. Always been, always 14, been 14. Then you pay yeah. 99. Yep. Uh, you had hundreds of thousands of people signed up uh, on the wait list, correct? Well, what we have right now is 170,000 plus people who've signed up for hey.com now. Got it. And if yeah. 10% were to convert, just 10%, that'd be 17,000. Am I correct? Yeah. And one Not a great do- business. That'd be Not a great business. 17,000, 170,000, 1.7 million in revenue already. Yeah, but not not a great business, right? Like you Were well, you kidding get, me? You're 30 well, days in, you made $2 million minimum. Sure. You're converting put, at least 10%. Well, at we least. Put, I, my point is this. Have you publicly course, released I mean, what you've converted or no? The conversion? Um, we said only the first cohort. So the first cohort was the first day of people who signed up. Okay. 37% conversion rate. Oh, For the my first day. Lord. For the first so day. you made $5 million in the first month. Oh, my Lord. That is an incredible business. This is bigger than anything you've done in your career, correct? No. Basecamp is a huge business. No, Basecamp I know, but I'm saying business. in the first 30 days, oh, Basecamp yeah, yeah. did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. That was a first slow burn. Days, yeah. Very slow. Yeah. I mean, no. What, what, what I meant by not a great yeah. business so far is that we have to have we have to have a lot of people paying yeah. on the personal version of Hey to really make this a viable. We've got two years. We've got a lot of people. Each customer what does it take to launch something like this? Bucks. 30, 40 people? Uh, well, our company is, is 55 people. Um, and, you know, we have a product development team. We did, we, so we launched iOS, Android, and the web simultaneously. Wow. As long as Mac, uh, Mac app, we use Electron. So Mac, uh, Windows, and, and um, Linux uh, native apps too. 
you know, we were part development team of half the company, basically. Um, the rest is, is support and, and operations, which, of course, is a big part of running the business. They're, they're critical. But um, that's, you're going that's about to have a lot more uh, support issues. You're going to have to ramp up support. How do you think about that? Yeah. Do you want to know how many customer service emails we've gotten so far? 20, I think 25,000 in three weeks. Oh, my Lord. What is yeah. the top one? Like, how do I forward this or pop support or some, some obscure stuff? It's interesting. Stuff? A lot of them are, it, there's a lot of, it's not a lot of confusion. It's more like, can I, yeah, like, do you guys support IMAP? Can I have a custom domain? Like, a lot of the things that we're yes. going to eventually, you know, do down the road, perhaps. But um, a lot of just questions about feature requests and can I do this and can I do that and that kind of thing. And there's, of course, been problems and bugs. We've, we've knocked out about 100 plus bugs so far. So um, there's all that, too. But yeah, this is. This has taken us by storm. We did not expect, we knew this was a great product, but we did not know that it was going to strike a nerve like it has. Right. Um, so we're thrilled. But the last two, three weeks have been, have sucked in a lot of ways because we are not used to working crazy hours. You know, we, you and I have talked about this in the past. I'm yes. Sure, like, we anti -hustle, work 40 hour weeks. Uh, uh, yeah. Anti-hustle culture. <laughs> yeah. We're not into the crazy hours. We're not into working on the weekends. And the last two Oops. weeks, two and a half, yeah, this was, this was not, this was, I mean, it's enthralling and exhilarating and wonderful, and we couldn't be more, ha you know, couldn't be happier with the response. But it's we brutal. can't work like this forever. It's fucking brutal. It's horrible. So, you know, we have to we have to get back to to normal here. Uh, to it's soon, um, and we're going to hire some additional people. We brought on five temps to help on customer service. We're probably going to hire some more people. We're going to have to hire some people here now that we have something that's working. My only point with 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 the not a good business is that we have to sell a lot of personal accounts at ninety nine bucks a year. However. In a few months, we're going to launch Hey for Work, oh boy. formally, which is the multi-user work version, which is what we've been running inside Basecamp for uh, a number of months now. So, you know, you can collaborate on emails, you have custom domains, there's a whole bunch of other features. So oh, that's, so that's really kind of like the real businesses. That's like the front competitor. Front app lets you have like one e multiplayer mode in email is like a big one. Yeah, we're, we have that. So we're going to have that plus a whole bunch of other things. See, and other people don't understand things. how awesome that is because if you have an email... And, you know, it's a customer support one. It's a perfect example. I might want to say, hey, share this with somebody, allow them to reply to it, or we can have a little discussion on the side of it, which I guess we use Frontier for our customer support stuff and Zendesk. And, it's a, you know, th this is like a, a real business um, opportunity, I believe. Okay. Yeah, those are great products. And, and you know, for us, we normally do like five or 600 customer service emails a day because we have a lot of Basecamp customers and now we're going to have all these. Hey. So like for us, we need a debt. We use Help Scout. We need a dedicated help system. But if you're a small company or you're, you're a team that gets 20 or 30 or 50 customer service emails a day, a shared inbox style product like this, perfect. like Front or like, like Hey for work, it's perfect for that. Yeah. Or you can just forward it into a Slack room and people can kind of mitigate it there. People do all kinds of hacks, but it really should be a built-in uh, feature. The feature I like the most is where if somebody's emailing you for the first time, you get to thumbs up or thumbs down if they get to talk to you. Explain how you came up with that feature. Um, what do you call it again? The um, It's called the screener. The screener. Yeah, I, so I, I told you guys on Twitter, I was like, this is the most brilliant part of it for me. Tell everybody how you came up with the idea for the screener and, and how it works practically. Yeah. So basically, we're all very comfortable with screening our calls. You look 100%. at your phone, your phone yeah. rings, you look at the number, I don't know who that is, I'm not going to answer. Like, no, that's never. what we do. That's death. That never, right? <laughs> maybe it goes to voicemail, maybe you listen to voicemail, maybe you go, oh, that's the car dealer, the, 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 the service is ready for pickup. Or, okay, I'll call them back. But most of the time, you just don't answer and you don't look at the voicemail, yeah. or even if you do, you don't call them back, right? We have this power, basically this idea, 
to a certain degree of consent. We're in control in a way of who we talk to on our phones, but we're not really in control, or we haven't been before, hey, of who we talk to via email. That one of the beauties of email, of course, is that everybody can get in touch with everybody. That's one of the wonderful things about email, but it's also the worst thing about email is that you don't control who can get in touch with you anymore. It used to be 10, 20 years ago, you would just give out your email address to people that you wanted to hear from. But now our email addresses have been bought, sold, traded. They're all over the place. There's no yeah, such no, thing as a private email anymore. No, no such thing. Yeah. I mean, so even when to, I came up with one and it's just immediately gets uncovered. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. everywhere. It's everywhere. So so we wanted to bring the, the notion of like the, the old school notion of I get to control who gets in touch with me via email. So in Hey, the first time anyone ever emails you, they don't land in what's called the inbox. They, they land in um, what's called the screener. And the screener shows the person and their email. And you say, do you ever want to hear from this person? Yes or no. And if you say no, you'll never hear from them ever again. Now, we also have a spam filter ahead of that. But this is the thing. Spam is not the problem with email anymore. It used to be. Now the problem is other people getting through who you don't want to hear from. Salesperson. Um, you, the you sequences. Buy from one- that's the big thing is the sequences now. Oh, my God. The drips. The, the, 80, the, the drip campaigns are weeks. a bit much. And, you know, for me, it's a PR. I get... For this podcast, I get no less than two dozen emails a day with people who want to be on the podcast. Yeah, and uh, we just tell them we don't we, we don't accept submissions. But this uh, there's a company Cision or Vision or some goddamn PR database where they I keep asking them to take me out, but they're just the way they build their database is they'll give you a lower price. I think it's called Cision or Vision. Anyway, it's a PR database, and these. I could say a curse word right now. These melon farmers, they specifically, uh, from what I understand, if you're a PR person and you add people's contact information back, then they're like, oh, we didn't do it. Somebody else did. And I'm like, I want to be permanently out of this goddamn database. And then somebody downloads business podcasts. So they download 400 emails and they spam me. I don't mind getting a, a personalized email, but for the love of God, and that I think I I literally think this is going to this feature is going to become the standard. The yeah, next piece, I hope it is. It will be. And you know, here's I, the thing. Here's the thing that's I think really important about it is that so, people deserve to have control over their own time and attention. Of course. And every time someone lands an email in front of you, they're taking a piece of your time and attention. Even if you want to delete it or ignore it or archive it or whatever people do, you still have to deal with it. It's cognitive to, overload. It's cognitive yes. overhead. And it, it just makes your life annoying. It's, yes. So we're stopping it at, love it at the source. And then someone could drip you, you know, nine emails over three weeks. It doesn't matter. You'll never get any of them. It's and so you don't great. have to Do they get any, any indication that they've no. been... So no. you're basically hell banning them. They're hell yeah. banned. I love it. Yeah. And uh, you can change your mind. We save the emails for 90 days. So if you change your mind, you want to flip them back on to being yes, you'll get all those emails that you decided that you didn't it. want to hear from. So sometimes you do it by accident. You do the wrong person or whatever. So you you can save yourself there. But mostly it's like, no, I don't want to hear from you. I, I don't have time. I was it. using shift exclamation point when I was in Gmail. Yeah. Um, and um, I'll tell you how I deal with it now. This is the one thing I wanted to get to. So you know my favorite feature. The other thing is I have a solution for Apple, which I have been bringing up year after year. I bought the goddamn phone. It's my device. It is no longer yours. And you're making, they're charging 12, I think I paid 1200 for my last one. And I I read the costs are 350 or something. They're making like, basically you could buy a car for the cost of 15 iPhones, the latest one. 
it's a really expensive high margin product. In your settings, there should be a button you click that says allow third-party apps and app stores. This would be the perfect uh, way for them to say, we are not going to give you customer support if you click this button. Here's a warning. Your phone now is your responsibility. If you get hacked, if it breaks, you no, don't come to the genius bar. You're on your own. Yep. Just like, you know, and, and then we'd be done with this whole debate. And people could just load the Amazon app store or whatever they want. What do you think of my solution? Is this I, a viable I like one? It. I don't know if it's viable from their perspective. But no, I, but, but I, if, we I were, if you it. and I were going to lobby, you yes. know, Congress, the EU, et cetera, which we could do, you and I and, and David yeah. and a couple of people could write a blog post, let us do what we want with our phone and we'll assume the risk. Yeah, I just want choice. I want choice too. That's it. Like, I want choice. And here's the other thing. To your point, I almost wonder, maybe this is a cynical person in me, you know, mostly now they don't really let, they don't really encourage people to buy phones now. Now they're just rented, right? You just kind of pay this monthly yeah, fee, 50 right? Bucks, so it's yeah. not really yours. Oh, yeah. So you have to kind Even of, more but I loathsome. think this idea of, yeah, paying outright, it's like, this is mine now. Right. I should have a little bit of control over like what gets on it. And it's up to me. It's my thing. It's my device. It's my choice. And if a company like that I trust wants to send me iOS software that way, they should be able to, of course, of course. And I understand, like, I really, I understand the fundamental principles of the app store as it, as it was in its purest form way back when loading software onto mobile phones back in 2007 or six sucked horribly. It was a terrible, terrible thing. I remember having to do this with like loader apps and like, you know, what at a Palm Pre or whatever I had before. Yes. It was a horrible experience. So Apple really truly innovated as Apple does. And they're wonderful at this and they're wonderful at breaking categories and they're, they're amazing. Their user experience is fantastic, but things have changed. Yeah. And as, as a, you know, as a customer, like let me, if I want, trust the companies that I want to trust. Why should Apple be the arbiter of who I can trust? Remember it's they wouldn't weird. let you use VLC, the open source video player. So you couldn't have a video mm -hmm. player. You were also not allowed to have a browser. So you couldn't download Opera or whatever browser Dolphin you wanted. Right. And the public pressure from entrepreneurs and from users, I think, pushed Apple to realize, you know what? If we squeeze too hard, you know, like Princess Leia told Darth Vader, like the more <laughs> galaxies are going to slip through your fingers. But also, uh, you know, people were like, hey, J. Cal, you're a big investor in Superhuman. Uh, Superhuman is uh, 30 bucks a month. You're, I guess, $8 a month Eight or so. Eight and a quarter. Eight yep. and a quarter a month. Uh, and I saw you guys coming in, and you know what I said? Wonderful. Because when it's a two-horse race, when there are two extremely talented teams going after a big prize like email, boy, is that going to attract a lot of attention from consumers, and it's going to make both teams better. Now, the way I handle, there's an incredible feature in Superhuman, and this is going to become, I think, the Hey.com Superhuman race is going to become another Uber Lyft, you know, kind of race, Apple, Android, which is fantastic for investors and owners of each of these companies. Um, they have a great feature. When you hit the shift exclamation point, not only can you ban that person, you can ban the whole domain name. So when I get, you know, blank PR or blank communications, uh, not only do I ban you, I ban your entire domain. And the first thing I did when I saw Hey.com was I emailed Raul and the team over there and I said, this screener is 
going to become the standard. You got to get this feature out there. This is going to be awesome. Um, and I know you guys have mixed it up a little bit with them about the tracking pixels, which let's face it, everybody uses across all sales software. Let's mm -hmm. unpack that for a minute. Sure. People track opens. Mm -hmm. um, it's done by default in almost universally all sales software. What should the standard be for email tracking? I have my own views, but I'm curious about yours. And then I'm curious how you look at Superhuman, which is a loved, elegant, beautiful product. Yeah, sure, of course. All right, so let's talk about the tracking thing. So Hey is really the first product of its kind built with this feature built in, which basically blocks all what we call spy pixels, which are pixels that are injected into emails that tell the sender all sorts of things about you without your permission. Did you open the email? How many times did you open the email? Um, what kind of computer do you own? What kind of phone did you look at the email on? How long did you spend reading the email? How many times did you go back to the email? What's your IP address, which can really leak some private location-based data in a sense. None of these things are anyone's business just because I open an email. So my feeling is that there should absolutely be no, um, no tracking uh, for emails. Um, and uh, if you want to opt in to be tracked, opt in. And this is how I look at these things. Like if the industry loves tracking so much and they think it's so important, well then let give people the option to, to opt into it, not opt out of it. Opt out of it is the default. And not let them opt in. They're going to see that very few people are willing to share that kind of information back with the sender. It's I, none of anyone's business. I agree with you because if you look at something like the iMessage product, mm -hmm. um, you can set read receipts, right? Yep. And so with my wife and my close friends, I want them to know that I read it, right? That, that's an important feature for me. Okay, I read it just so you know I saw it. It might be in a meeting or on the podcast, but at least you know I did read it. Um, but I agree it should be uh, something that there is an open standard about. And I mm -hmm. used to use something because um, I don't know if you know about uh, what is it? DocSend is like everybody sends mm -hmm. their pitch decks in DocSend. I don't know if you yep. get this. And I, I know tell you, I've heard of something like that. Yeah. yeah it, it's sort of like a PDF. Instead of sending a PDF, you send a DocSend. What people don't know when you get a doc send, because it doesn't give you this warning, is, oh, I went through your startup's deck as an investor at one second a page, and then I spent 17 seconds on this chart page, right? So it's giving you this really granular stuff. Founders love it. People sending documents absolutely love it. I will not open a doc send. I use a VPN. I have personal security things like any targeted, anybody who's a target, because, you know, Russian hackers, Chinese hackers, all these folks are trying to get in on venture capitalists or CEOs' emails for obvious reasons. And so <clears throat> I'm always using all these kind of crazy blockers, but I think it should become a standard where I agree with you. The standard should be in all of these products that you opt into this and you pick who you want to, and it could even suggest to you. Um, and it's got, it should be more upfront. I used to use something like a Chrome extension called Badmail or something like this. And all these features are sitting there in the Chrome extension store. You know, they're just not updated and they're not built into products. One of the things I love about what you're doing, I love about what Superhuman is doing is... You can collect all of these like little features that people hack together. Oh, I don't know if you saw this. Somebody did the screener for Gmail. Did you see that yet? I saw that someone's working on some stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. somebody I mean, basically said, I'm going to make the screener as a Chrome extension. And I was like, that, yeah. that's a really great tribute to it. How do you yeah. think about Google and Gmail? Well, and and also, just, how do you think about Superhuman? Yeah, let me just add a couple more things on the sure. pixel thing. Then we'll get to that, which is... You probably remember, you've been around for a while too. So like way back in the day, there wasn't unsubscribe links at the bottom of every of every newsletter. Like that wasn't even a thing. Oh, like yeah. it was eventually like people had to do this. Can't spam. It had to be added. Yeah. And so 
I think opt-in is important for sharing information back. I also think like, let them disclose at the bottom of every email, like let them say, did you know that when I, when you open this email, yeah. we received your IP address, we received how many, like, then you start to expose the stuff and people go, wait a second. Yep. Wait a second. And yeah. the thing that really bugs me is not so much newsletters, to be honest, because this is actually a, a, something that was, you know, superhuman used to do, right? Which is they would, they would let you know if someone read your email. It's a read receipt that was on that the receiver didn't know anything about. And that really bugged me. It bugs us and a lot of bugs a lot of people because it's none of anyone's business. I don't even know it's being tracked. No one knew it was being tracked. And um, they got a lot of heat for that. So in general, opening an email should not reveal anything to anybody. It's right. just opening an email. It's like you open a letter. The person who sent it to you doesn't get a text back saying you open the letter. It's just nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's, so anyway, it, that's my take. I, yeah, I, and I think on the web- It has personal identifying information, which is the problem. Because like people might yeah. argue, well, on the web, you know, there's analytics and stuff. But sure. these analytics, of course, aren't personal analytics unless yes. you've logged into a system. I mean, but literally um, every cell software does this. And so we just need to have a yeah. standard on it. I think yes. there should be a standard- and I like the idea that there's uh, a big dialogue going on about it. Tell me yeah. how you think about the two competitors, Gmail and Superhuman, and um, sure. you know why it, hasn't why has Google screwed this up so badly? Like why does Hay and Superhuman even need to exist? Yeah, well, first of all, they're all very different products. So none of us are really competing with Gmail. Gmail is 1.5 billion people using. Crazy. So like superhuman and hey, don't have that. We'll never have that. That's they're different categories entirely. Um, but like, I think what you know, Gmail. First of all, I think Google Inbox was a wonderful product that they killed. Remember yep. that? Yeah, that was a really clever product. I thought, and they killed that, and they rolled some of the stuff back into Gmail. But look, Google does a million things. Like they're not really focused on email that much. It's no. just like email matters to them, but it's not their primary focus. They don't really make a lot of money on it. It's not their thing. They had to stop selling ads against it or personalized ads. Um, Man, did they get a lot of data though? Oof. Oh yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why we don't do anything like that. Hey, yeah. we don't sell ads. We don't mine your data. We don't look at anything personal. We don't sell anything you give us. You pay us for the product. So right. anyway, so Gmail is a it's free email for anybody and everybody. And like we'll never be on that level. Nor do we want to be on that level because you really can't provide great service. Like we're all about providing great products and great service. Gmail can't provide great customer service to a billion people. There's just no, the economics don't work out. It's no, just not possible. Not for a free product, certainly. Not for a free product, right? Yeah. So, hey, is not free. Hey, is 99 bucks. So, Superhuman is a client that sits on top of Gmail or other mail services. So, hey, is different. Hey, is closer to Gmail in that it's a, a mail provider. And, and, and um, Superhuman is closer to any number of the different um, a client. clients. Yeah. Right. And it's a wonderful product. A lot of people love it. Um, it's fat. Their whole, you know, thing is primarily fast and keyboard commands and, and, you know, Hey has all those things as well, but it's a different audience, a different target. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it, look, like you said, I, I love competition. It's wonderful. It's, and this is the whole thing, like getting back to the Apple discussion, <laughs> there should be competition. Things yeah. will get better. Prices Absolutely. will come down. All these things will get better. So, Capitalism, so I love it. Not all and there's bad. other players too. There's other players too. It's not just saying Who else is doing something? Well, I, I see Pro, is it ProtoMail? Pro, ProtonMail and Proton Mail. Are Why is Pro, also, ProtonMail becoming popular? Is that strictly because people want to be anonymous or something? Yeah, so ProtonMail is is end-to-end uh, -end encrypted. Uh, so, so it's really for really sensitive uh, emails, like journalists and all sorts of different people who, you know, sources or whatnot, are sending stuff back and forth. So their, their real thing is, is, is super high-end um, encrypted security or encrypted emails. 
Fastmail is another option, which is another mail provider, just like Hey and Gmail are, and they have their own set of features, and that's a wonderful product too. So there's what, what's their selling point? Is it they have a specific selling point? Well, I mean, you'd have to ask them, but primarily it's that like you're not, you don't have to be on Gmail, you don't have ah. to be giving your information to Google. You know, there's privacy, privacy, yeah, yeah privacy, and 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 pay for pay for the stuff, and um, you know, support a company. So. I think, you know, and they have other features that it's a, it's a really nice product, actually. So there are a number of them out there. But what we're trying to do with Hey is really revisit the workarounds. Um, and email is full of workarounds. Like, how do I get back to people later? Will you hack that? How do I set something aside for later? Will you hack that? Um, why do I have to read emails one at a time? Why can't I read them all on one page? Like, we have this feature That's called That's a nice feature. I love that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we have this we, feature called Read Together, where you can just, like, open up six emails at the same time on the single page and scroll through them, just like you do on Facebook or on Twitter or on LinkedIn or Absolutely. Instagram. You yeah, scroll through things. That's how we do it in modern day. Like, but email has been so far behind. Yep. So we're just trying to bring these modern ideas to email and re-envision. Re what do you think the chances are the sleeping giant, you know, Gmail or Outlook or somebody wakes up? Uh, I think they're going to copy a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and, but you, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. I mean, and also there, it's you, the difference is founder authority. I always think like the founders have a passion for it, and the people who are the line workers, they just, all right, we got our asses kicked. These new features, I guess we got to try to catch up. But, you know, I also gotta, don't think that Gmail feels like any of the above are threats, like superhuman, hey, fast mail. But they're, we're, we're, we're pimples, right? Yeah. Because, They've got 1.5 billion customers, a totally different customer base. They might improve. They might take some of these ideas and some of these features and build them into Gmail. I wouldn't yep. be surprised. They're good ideas and good ideas should flourish and they should spread around. There's not, I mean, we're not here to protect anything. There's nothing we can protect anyway. Um, we just want to provide a great service for people who want to support a company like ours and want to see email. And if they want to be on the frontier of what's possible with email, they want to be on, hey, that's what they want to be on. So it's up to people to decide that. And and like I said, we're not free. We're at 99 bucks minimum a year. Um, and so th that's not for a lot of people either. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's so you know, nice though that cool. there's willingness on consumers now. Like consumers seem to be maturing in the, you know, third decade of the web or whatever we're on now of, you know, people really understanding it. And they understand if they're not paying, uh, then they're the product, right? If you're not paying that's for right. the product, you are the product. And it's it's delightful to see consumers willing to pay. And the advice I give people about the app store is, you know, if you pay Apple their VIG, you're mm -hmm. likely, and there's a reason why they have the top uh, revenue charts. The top revenue charts reward people who give them money. They yes. don't have insight into how much Netflix makes, so Netflix can never be, or Spotify can never be on those charts. But if another company puts it on there, I think for small companies, this is why if I was your partner on this, I'd say, let's pay them the VIG, because we'll be the we'll be on the charts, right? If thirty, forty thousand people pay, we'll be the number one on that chart. So you if you think about the marketing, did you guys have that internal discussion that hey, maybe if we give them, you know, three hundred thousand dollars, we'll be pinned as, you know, top three or four paid apps for a couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, it's just not the way we want to do business. Um I I'm not interested in giving anyone 30% of our revenues like that. Like we've, we've spent 21 years building a reputation, building customer base, building trust, building integrity, building great products. And for me, just to hand over my customers to Apple, just to get on a chart, not interested in that. I mean, here's the other thing that people, again, don't realize. When, when, when your payment goes through Apple and at payments, 
they're not your customer anymore. They're that's Apple's the key. Customer. See, I think that's right? the key issue where I where I'm I, in agreement I'm, with you. Why should I give my customers to Apple? And on the credit card uh, charge slip, or, or well, not the slip, but like on your on your statement, sure. it says Apple. It doesn't right. say Basecamp. It says Apple. Yes, and that, that is the problem. Me, yeah, that was Rupert how, Murdoch's problem, by the way, when he did the app. Remember he did the news app? Um, oh, um, I forgot the name of it. It'll come know. to me in a moment or my producer will put it into the chat room and I'll take credit for it. But um, <laughs> sorry, I seem so smart on the podcast, but oh, it was the daily. It was the daily. Right. I got it. And his thing was, I'm not putting Wall Street Journal on there unless I get the names of the subscribers and I can talk to my subscribers. No, yeah. no, Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs folded for, for him. But it was one of the yeah. reasons why I left AngelList was... I didn't know who, uh, you know, I was, they, they, they wouldn't give me the contact information of the angels who were investing alongside of me. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm so done investing in platforms where they obscure and they create this distance to control me by not letting me know who my customers are. I want to know my customers. I want to know yeah. my LPs. I want to know my partners. What's it like to work with David? He is a very <laughs> interesting cat. Does he make you crazy sometimes? Do you guys fight about stuff or do you just like appreciate him for the the wild berserker he is? Because, you know, he is a bit of uh, a spirited individual like myself. What's <laughs> it like to along. work with him? I, I love David. David, I can, honestly, yeah. I could go on vacation with David because we don't agree on, you know, we, we agree right. on half the stuff. Sure. But I love debating with people. I love when he's on the podcast. Love a different perspective. Yeah, David loves arguing, and you love arguing, and I, I love arguing too. I, but I does love, that get a little um, annoying having an arguer as a partner? Um, you guys you know, ever go the, at it? Oh, we do. We do. We, we see things, like we see business stuff 90, 95% the same, and there's like the 5% or 10% we don't about pricing or you know how to roll a product out. Like There's a ton of debates around, hey, like should we launch the work version first? Should we launch them both at the same time? Should we launch mm. the personal version? Is there even a market for the person? There's all these headbutting yes. debates. But the thing is, is that, I mean, I love working with David. David David's brilliant and is He's such, smart a, cat, yeah. such a, a great partner. What is his superpower? David is incredibly clear-minded. Um, I think, you know, some people, you talk to them and, and they have arguments. And if you were able to, to knock on the argument, it'd sound like hollow, wood. Like yeah. if you knock on David's arguments, they're oak. Like right. David, David has, there's substance behind what he's saying. He believes in what he's saying. He's done the research. He's done the thinking. He might be right. He might be wrong. I mean, that, that's also for time to, to tell because people are wrong. People give him shit for like, you know, 10 years ago, whatever it was. He's like, Facebook's not going to be worth anything. So, okay, he was wrong on that, right? People were wrong. He can't be 100% on anything, of course. But David really, when he argues, he believes what he's saying. And he's, he's brilliant and, and it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm inspired to work with him. I, I love working with him. We definitely go head to head on product decisions and product ideas. And at the end of the day, it's my call. It's my company. Um, but, but I mean, we wouldn't be anywhere near where we are without him. So um, thrilled to have him. It's wonderful. I, I hope we've been in business now together. I mean, I started the business in 99 with a few other different partners. So um, he came on a little bit later. So 2002, 2003 kind of thing was when he became a partner in the business, basically. Um, and I hope we're still in business 20 years from now working together. I, I love it. It's wonderful. So he's great. He's great. And yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't, 
he's got his own set of personal uh, debates and, and arguments that he's going to make, and I'm going to make my own. And I usually stay out of the fray on Twitter because I'm not interested in that side of Twitter. I'm more interested in Twitter as like a business commercial thing, not like a personal. That, that's where I'm moving to. Thing. For me, it was yeah. like a fun because you know all these online communities start as fun, and it's yeah. a small group of people, and then it just gets too big and it collapses on itself. It's almost it's like hard. a boom bust cycle of like. Um, it's like Darwinism. The pond gets too many fish in it. Though they, they eat all the algae, everything. <laughs> it's also hard to defend in an argument in 240 characters, like to people who aren't really interested in listening or, and, and, and that's a, like, we can all make bad arguments too. So it's not like sure. any argument you make is worth defending. Sometimes you just make bad arguments, but like, it's just so hard. But you know, one thing I want to get back to, I was just thinking about yeah. this. Um, your point about getting out of angel list, you know, for a while during the Apple thing with, with Apple and Hay, I was actually considering if, if the Apple decision would have gone the other way, I was considering quitting and basically retiring. Um, you as a, like, uh, yes. Wow. Because here's why. If I didn't get into business, I didn't start a business to be told what to do by another business. Right? No, you don't want to be bullied. No. And not even bullied. Just like, uh, yeah, bullied. You're right. Bullied. I don't want to be like. That's not why I'm an independent, like I've, I've, we've built an independent business intentionally. We don't have outside funding, you know, the whole story, right? We're, yeah. we're self-funded, we're, we, we do everything our own way so we can do it our own way. And to be in an industry where if Apple forced us to have to give them 30% of our business and not be able to interface with our customers the way we want, I don't want to be in that industry. I'm not interested in no, it's gross. running a business. It's horrible. And like, that's not, if that's the norm, I want out. I'm not interested in that. So like, I was contemplating that during the thing. Like, I didn't know wow. where this was going to go. We truly didn't know. And by the way, I will say at the end, when it all kind of came together, Apple was very gracious and they gave me a phone call and, and explained very the reason. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it was it was nicely handled in the end. Um, and, and the fellow, I can't share his name, but the fellow who I was interacting with at Apple was a very fair-minded, kind person. He was just doing his job. Right. You know, he wasn't being able to, he wasn't the one making the ultimate calls here. Um, and he gave me a call at the end to let us know the app was finally approved. And I, I was really happy with how that all wrapped up. But for a while there, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be in this industry if I have to basically give in to a trillion dollar, if a trillion dollar business can tell me how to run my business, an independent business worth whatever it's worth, it doesn't even matter. It's nowhere near what Apple's worth. If I can't be myself, if I can't run my own company my own way, why What's do I want to be in business at all? No, it'd be like, you know what, if you think about the art and the crafts the 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 craft work that we do making these companies it would be like being in the movie business and like you make this great film and the theaters are just like yeah no when, yeah, when you can't be on it. the screen it's like but but I, I put all this effort and art into this and like you have the movie theater and I have the movie like can't we get along and this is why I think you know the I, I'm not a big regulation guy um, I like free markets I think you do like free markets but this is anti-competitive and when you when uh, when a company gets so big, they need to become self-aware and they have to pick the battle and they have to figure out, is this the hill they want to die on or the hill they want to murder people on? And it's a stupid decision by, for Apple to to pick that hill to die on. They got here by developers. They don't make good software. Apple makes terrible software. Apple, every Apple product what you know from video editing to audio editing to calendar to mail sucks they're dependent on the ecosystem to make beautiful apps so why antagonize people who want to be on your platform and i think that's what they realized and i think it's a very important thing for people listening to this podcast to realize is when there is injustice like this with a big company speak up write the blog posts 
And the other founders, the other podcasters, the other entrepreneurs are going to rally behind you. Yeah, we saw a lot of that. And, and it gave us a lot of energy because this is really an argument we were making for all developers. Not, I mean, we were using our, we were in the thick of it. So like, this is our example, but this, we want to see rule changes for everybody because it's simply just not fair. And here's the other thing, you know, we heard from so, dozens and dozens of founders and, 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 and entrepreneurs and, and, and developers who came out of the woodwork privately to us off the record saying- Yeah, they're like, not going to say it publicly. Yeah, they're afraid. And when, when, you're afri- when, when, when a company strikes fear in other That's the tell. Yes, that's the tell that something is wrong here. And there's so many companies out there and independent developers who feel totally bull- bullied have been pushed around and strong-armed by large companies, Apple included. And, but they're afraid. They're afraid. And you basically have had, historically, you've had to have been- Spotify or Netflix or some big massive company who can spend the time and spend the money arguing. Right. The thing is, is that company, like the public doesn't care about billion dollar companies arguing with each other. I think what was interesting about this case is that we were a relatively small company arguing against the big company. And that out. was kind of, I think, where the leverage was ultimately. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad that it happened. And I'm glad that there were some rule changes. We'd love to see a lot more. And I think your idea also is good. There's a lot of great ideas out there. And I think I'm hopeful that, that Apple will begin over time, over the next few years, to begin to pry open the door a little bit and give some people some choice and some options. Otherwise, at some point, and who knows when this is going to be, because no company really knows when this happens until it flips, yep. people are going to leave or governments are going to come down even harder. And then we'll you, see how the you, EU you, shakes out. And there's also an antitrust investigation starting in the US, I think, in July, this month here. So You overplay your hand at yeah. your peril. You, know, you really yep. have to think it through. If you're going to be a bully like this... All of those enemies accumulate. And, you know, the same exact thing happened when I started criticizing Google. Um, people were like, hey, J. Cal, let it go. You know, mm-hmm. just take the loss, lay off your employees and and don't fight it. And I was like, that's not how I'm going down. I'm going down swinging. And to this day, I say Matt Cut screwed me and I say they lied to me. And I think that there should be antitrust because if you look at what they did with search, they, this is the, the, the lying was so obvious. <laughs> They said, we didn't change organic search. And I'm like, okay, but you moved the first organic search result 400 pixels down the goddamn page (sighs) and you put your box ahead of it. Yeah. So you and everybody knows that 90% of the clicks are on the first three choices, therefore putting Yelp down there, therefore putting travel, therefore putting Mahalo, whatever it is down there. You put yourself up top. You don't have to change the organic results. You're lying. And you caught them in this lie. And yeah. if you think about this bad behavior, you know, when people are scared of speaking up, that should make you yourself have some level of self-reflection. And this is what I told to the highest levels of Google. Um, I said, do you really want people to be scared of you? Is that how you want to live your life? Right. Because... You could also be gracious and generous and you're making, you, I mean, how much money has to pile up in Apple's coffers for them to think it's worth it? You know, like at what, what point do you just look in the mirror and hate yourself? It's, it's bad. It is baffling and it's unfortunate, but I think sometimes what happens is, is that not to defend it because I'm with you on this completely is that just, this is what happens. Public yeah. markets demand returns and they, they're lo- everyone's looking for money and everyone's looking for revenue and there's a big revenue source and they can take a slice. You want to take a slice of every, Apple wants to take a slice of every service that exists. Like you could see how they would want that. Their yeah. whole, their service business now. So you can just kind of see how these things evolve. It doesn't mean that there's bad people that are making these decisions. It's just like, this is, this is what 
this is what happens. Yes. And as, as a company amasses more and more and more power, this is what happens. This is just what happens every single time. Um, and at some point, it breaks. And by the way, speaking of Google, I mean, you know, probably, was it last year, we, we got in a whole thing with Google around having to buy our own branded keywords because that, Google's oh, selling our branded keywords to other people. And, so and they made the ads look like organic results, even more so than ever before. And people don't know, and people are confused. And it's, it's brutal. It's brutal. Like, why? Why? And I could tell you how we could fix this. This is what we need to do. Because I did yeah. this with Mahalo. Mm -hmm. I recorded people using Google. If you record people using Google and you yeah. say, and you show them those bullshit ads where they make you pay to not have your competitor there. So for you, you know, if Basecamp is being competed against by Acme Project Management, they can buy your keyword, yep. put themselves up there, then you have to buy it. Yep. The, the word ad is a little tiny chiclet. And the if smallest you, the smallest the you could possibly do it. If yeah. you have 100 people do it, and then afterwards say, did you click on an ad, or did you click on an organic search result? They will say, I didn't click on an ad 60, 70% of the time. It's been proven. For sure. And if there were videos like that submitted to the EU, and we just did a focus group, it costs $1,000 to do this. If you're listening to me, and you've got a problem with this, and you do, Mm -hmm. All you have to do is run that test and man, Google will stop in their tracks because the last thing they want to do is get in a fight with people who say you're deceiving users. Right. And it's so clear they're deceiving users by making the ad look so similar. Remember in the old days, the ad was in a box with a color behind it? Totally. It was light blue. And in fact, if you look at like, I think the New York Times maybe did a piece on this. They looked at like Google ads over the last 10 years or something. Maybe yeah. it was the post. I'm not sure who it was now. But anyway- and you could see that there's been a conscious effort to make these things look more and more and more like organic results. More and, native, yeah. And, and it's it's just, it's wrong. And here's the other thing that's so wrong about it is that Google will allow anyone to buy our trademarked brand name, Basecamp, okay? Or Hey. Um, I haven't even looked at Hey ads. I don't know if anyone's taking ads out against Hey yet. But anyway, um, but if you try to buy Google and put Google in your ad, yeah, no. they will say, no, no, you can't use Google. That's yeah. a trade, that's a registered trademark. So they know the value of the brand. They know the value of trademarks. And their argument would be, well, we can't have a database of everyone's trademark. What do you mean? You have a database of everything. Of, yeah, you of, of just the index world. the world's data. That's Wait your argument, right? Yeah, that's your argument. It's like Facebook <laughs> being like, we can't figure out what, you know, the posts <laughs> are that are hate speech or porn. But yeah. they can figure out if you put a dating ad app. Like right. they can't figure out it's a Russian or racist ad. Yeah. But the second you put a competing social network ad up or a competing, know. you know, uh, ad for a, a dating site, you're immediately taken down. It's like, really, guys? Yeah. I mean, we, you've got some of the brightest people, you. brightest people in the world working these places. Of course they can do this. It's just about the will and, and yeah. the business model and all that. So, all I mean, right. of course they can figure this out. So it's really frustrating, though. And it's, it's sad that there's basically a duopoly. You've got Google. You've got Apple. You've got these massive companies that are exerting all this pressure on the mobile environment. There's no one else. There's no other mobile operating systems. Windows Phone's gone. There's two. And they basically, Google's slightly better in, the, in their app store, or Google Play Store is slightly better with these rules. Yeah. But they're going to move in Apple's direction, too, I think. And we'll they're see. already kind of yeah. maybe doing it. I don't know. But also, like you said, it doesn't really matter. I want the apps. Right I want the apps reviewed. And so, what I think, you know, to my point before about like, hey, I'm going to put mine on experimental mode, or, you know, I'm going to put it in developer mode. Basically, anybody can click it over to developer mode and do whatever they want with their phones. I like the idea that they're reviewed. I like apps being reviewed sure. for, yeah. you know, malware or whatever. 
but I might want to take a risk on, you know, something in which is, you know, they, I think they were going to try to kill test flight before they bought it. As right. we wrap up here, um, and thanks for your time. I know you're busy. Um, work from home was this weird, wacky 5% of the market. We have the pandemic and now, uh, you guys win the argument. <laughs> well, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately <laughs> you win the argument yeah. over the pandemic, but yeah. The truth is, you know, you've been doing this longer and advocating for longer than anybody. You had a beautiful office in Chicago, which I think mm-hmm. you handed the keys back. Am I right? Our lease is up in one month and we're never, we're not renewing. Yeah. What yeah. should people know about running an at scale work from home company? What are the, the two or three things that you need to do to make it work? Yeah, I think the most important thing is to think of remote working as a platform, just like you think of Mac OS as a platform and iOS as a platform and Windows as a platform. And the reason I'm making this point is, and also DVDs as a platform and the web as a platform, because let me, let me just kind of go back for a minute. You'll see where this makes sense in a minute. Do you remember back in the early days of the web, 96, let's say, um, most websites were either super simple or they looked like CD-ROM DVD interfaces. Yeah, they were because, either disgusting or yeah. they just look like a piece of type, typewriter paper. Right, because what happens is whenever there's something new, people port over what they're used to from the previous thing. So they ported over CD-ROM and DVD media, multimedia interfaces to the web. Then eventually people figure out there's something called web design and, they, and that got better. Now, the same thing was true when people ported Windows software over to the Mac. It was terrible, but like that's how, and then eventually Mac software got better, right? The same thing is true for remote working, which is that people are trying to port over the office environment online remotely. It doesn't work. Just like porting a DVD-ROM interface, DVD-CD-ROM interface over to the web doesn't work. These are different methods of working. And so what's really important here is that remote working is a different way of working. It's not this, it's not a remote version of office working. And what I mean by this is this. I'd like to see more asynchronous communication, less real-time communication. In the office environment, people have meetings all the time. They're talking out loud. That's real time. When you're remote, you can take advantage of the distance and have asynchronous conversations so people can have more time to themselves and more attention to themselves. Fewer meetings. Don't replicate all your meetings on Zoom. Have fewer meetings, not more meetings. They're not the same meetings. These are opportunities to change the way you work, give people more time to themselves, more freedom, more autonomy. And with that transition, which can be hard for some, you're going to see that there's significant advantages to working remotely. There's disadvantages too. There's isolation. There's a whole bunch of things around that. And clearly like sometimes being in person, it's hard to beat. But when you can't and you realize that there's other advantages to remote working and you kind of lean into those, you can really run a wonderful company remotely. But what people struggle with is when they're trying to run a remote company the way the same way they ran a local company. It just does how, not how work. How do you build culture? How do you how do you keep people from feeling isolated? Because that is the thing that's becoming very acute for me personally. I feel so isolated. I don't enjoy it. And I'm starting to see people crack. Now, I'm an, I'm 100% extroverted, 96% extroverted on my Myers-Briggs horoscope. I don't you might be a little I'm more not. introverted. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So for I think for I introverts it. this feels pretty good. <laughs> For Look what we've had to deal with this whole time. Your yeah, exactly. World. Now you can deal with ours. Well, but, but it, here's it feels thing. like solitary confinement for me, I'll be honest. You yeah, know, and, here's and, the thing. I'm losing it. This is not really remote working. This is remote working in a pandemic. Because normally, you could go out to a coffee shop and working. Yes. Like, or, uh, you know, you could still meet up with people occasionally. Like, we're not opposed to meeting up with people occasionally. But right now, you can't. So this is not yeah. really a fair representation of what it's really like. It's too extreme. This is like, I'm locked down. I'm stuck. That sucks. That said, there's still isolation. You got to get out of the house. You got to be around human beings occasionally. You got to find camaraderie elsewhere sometimes. But also, there's a lot you can do remotely. For example, at Basecamp, 
We use Basecamp. There's this feature called automatic check-ins, which lets you ask questions on a recurring basis automatically of everybody in the company. Uh. So we say like, every Monday morning, what'd you do this weekend? And this is totally optional, but people can share what they did this weekend. They share pictures of their kids. They share pictures of short vacations they've had. You can really get to know people this way. We ask people once a month, what books are you reading? And people share book reports about things they're interested in. You go, oh my God, I don't work with you that often, but you love Annie Diller. She's one of my favorite authors too. Like, oh my God, did, now we have something in common. So there's a lot of ways you can, you can create camaraderie, create relationships with people remotely. You don't have to see someone to, to know someone. I've never... I don't know. Maybe we've met in person. Once I don't know. Twice, maybe like, like, what was it like? E-Tech, like O'Reilly yeah, E-Tech. Yeah, E-Tech in San Diego in 2005. That's when I it think was. it was like literally San Diego E-Tech 2005. <laughs> yeah. I had no ticket and I'm sitting in the lobby and <laughs> Tim O'Reilly's like, Calacanis, Come on freeloading in. bastard. Here's a ticket. Yeah. Thank you, Tim O'Reilly. I remember. It's Esther like a Dyson, new miracle, like a dead show or something. It was literally, I. you know what? People forget. I was so goddamn broke. I would go to PC Forum. I would go to... E-tech and I just sit in the lobby. I, we did something called lobby crashing was what we did to try to just get close to Bill Gates or Steve Jobs sure. or whoever was going to be at the event. And I, you would get, the, you know, the miracle. You hold up your finger and I was like, Ripple, let's go. That's when I first ran into to Jeff Bezos at E-tech in 2005 wow. in San Diego so at crazy. that conference. He gave a great talk and I, I gave a talk there. It was a wonderful time. That was a really fun time. But well, like, he was investing at that time, and he yes. agreed to put 250K into Weblogs, Inc., and Mark Andreessen mm. agreed to put 250K. So I was going to have 500,000 from those two, and then AOL bought the company. And <laughs> We did all right with that, too. So. Yeah, well, 30 million in 18 months. Can't well, complain. sure, but that way back when, that was amazing. Well, when you think it's about still it, amazing, yeah, so obviously, it's it still is amazing. weird. It is weird what's happened in the industry when you think about Delicious, Flickr, Flickr. Weblogs Inc. What else got sold in that little cohort? There was like a, a year of like twenty to thirty million dollar exits, and people lost their mind yeah. that Yahoo and AOL were going to lose all their money. Yeah, like well, remember, like twenty million bucks is always a lot of money. Always a lot of money. Is so, it? Yeah. Course. Jesus Please. Christ. I mean, I'm trying to get a plane here and it's just, it feels like a lot. It doesn't feel like a lot of money. <laughs> well, you got to talk to someone else about that. But I know, um, I'm joking. 20 million bucks is a lot of money. But it yeah, is, you're right. Is, Flickr is. was 20, right? Flickr was sold for Flickr 20. Flickr was 20. And... Delicious, I think, was 10. Weblogs was 30. TechCrunch eventually 24. Yeah. It was just like an interesting thing. And then, but you look at like these reoccurring revenue businesses. I was watching Buffer App, which has mm -hmm. been built with. You know, it's a, it's like Posterous, which Gary Tan made long before it. Yeah. The simplest, elegant software buffer app. He publishes his, his numbers, revenue. Yeah. I think he might be at 15 or 20 million in revenue. And the efficiency of business, you have 55 people. Your company's making, I think, nine figures. You're making at least a million or two million per employee minimum. The efficiency of these businesses, you're not going to confirm it, I know. <laughs> uh, I confirm anything. <laughs> I know, but I look at your eyes, I, get, I got a well, little poker towel. What we do say is we, we generate tens of millions in annual profits because I'm interested in profit. I'm yes. not interested in revenue. You can lose a lot of money making a lot of money. Yes, or, that's I mean, true. Well, you can lose a lot of money generating a lot of money. Right. Um, so we're into the profit side of things. So yeah. But what, when is, what's the end game for you? How old are you now? 46. I'm for, I'm 49. What you think you yeah. just do this for 20 more years or if you, you think you I, hand it over or sell it? What do you well, I mean, what more do you have to prove or you just love coming to work every day? Yeah, it's not about proving. It's just I mean, it's about proving things to ourselves. Like can we Yeah, it's sort of funny. I, mean, I, was, yeah. I was talking to some people today at work about this. Like we in some ways we were the old rock band. You know, we, yep. we base camp was around, you know, base camp was a big hit, you know, yep. 16 years ago. Like we haven't had a really good follow-up perhaps since yeah. um, we've had a few products, but nothing, nothing that hit like Basecamp. So it's kind of really, 
to be honest, very satisfying to to feel like we still got it. <laughs> you know, it is nice to put out a great years. album. It's like Pink Floyd, you know, like they put out a decent album, whatever, 10, 20 yeah. years later. It's a nice so feeling feel, you still I feel got good it. about this. So, you know, we love doing this stuff. We love solving these problems. We love making these tools. Um, I'd like to keep doing this for 20 years. But again, like maybe in five years, I won't want to do it in 20 years. That's the beauty of independence, in my opinion, is that no one can force me out. I mean, of course, a competitor can beat us. Companies can go out of business yeah, for all sorts okay. of reasons. Anything can happen, of course. Like we're the other thing to realize is that you're in control of basically nothing. I mean, you can do the best you can do, but there's very little that you really can control when it comes to being in the market, I think. Well, the pandemic and Trump have both taught us that. Like we had two black swan events in three years and it's just Yeah. So are they black swan events really then? Or is this just like Is this the new this... normal that it's going to be insane for the rest of our lives? I, yeah, right. I really and hope not, because it felt so knows? normal for so many decades maybe we just got lucky in our childhoods that we had 30 years of nothing happening certainly besides absolutely we got lucky i mean luck luck is the biggest part of all this but anyway point is it's like i want to keep doing it we love doing it it's great to have another hit after so yeah, so, so many nice. years i'm happy for you 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 think you now that you got that little bug are you and David going, maybe we got another hit? Maybe we should do another album. Maybe you do live maybe from Pompeii. Maybe really, you do Budokan. Do. Maybe you go play Budokan and do a live album. What's going on next? <laughs> uh, That's a well, great Dylan album, by the way, live at Budokan, if you want a good Dylan album. That's a great uh, double great CD. Albums. I mean, like um, so many of them. So we're so we're doing Hay for Work in a few months. We're, we already exist. We're just right. finishing Hay, Oh, Hay for Work. Yeah, yeah. Already finishing that. Basecamp 4 is coming out next year. So that's our next Congrats. big thing. And a lot of the things we thought about with Hay are going to make itself make their way into into Basecamp Four. So we're really uh, excited about that. God, but we don't CRM look much stuff, further yeah. ahead than that. So you know that's that's as far ahead as we're looking. But as far as like we've always been a long term company. Like I'd love to keep doing this for twenty years. But let's be honest. Like I'm not sure I'm fit to do this when I'm sixty five. Like am I really going to be doing this? I don't know. But I did think about that myself too. I was like, yeah, is yeah. it? Would it be sad for me to be doing this in 20 right. years or would it be awesome to be doing it in 20 years? Like I, I never met a six, 69, 70-year-old angel investor. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's How hard. do you I relate mean, to a 22-year-old founder at 70? How do you relate to a developer at 25 if you're 75? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, it, I think another thing is like, like I mentioned 10 minutes ago, like I was ready to hang it up if, if the Apple decision went the other way. So like all sorts of things can happen out of nowhere. Um, life can change for all sorts of reasons, you know, I don't know, but right now we love, we love doing this, this is wonderful. I mean, why not? <laughs> I, I really truly get to go to work and do great things that I enjoy every day with, and get to work with great people. Why would I give that up? I, I, I still have lots of years left that I have to work. So why, why yeah. would I want to give that up? That's why we've never sold the business and I have no interest in ever doing that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's this new concept I've been I've been floating with people I call the Pegasus, which is skipping rounds of venture funding. You're just bootstrapped the whole way. But if you look at com.com, Fitbod, uh, and uh, Qualtrics, a number of companies have just said, you know what? Well, if we need a little bit of cash, we'll raise a little bit, but we'll, we're going to keep it pretty thin. You, I mean, Bezos put a little money in, but he you didn't need it back in yeah, the day. Yeah, and he doesn't have any... That was that money went to David and I, so that didn't that money didn't he go. Bought, he still owns those shares. You guys ever? Yeah. Were, you ever talked to him? I haven't talked to Jeff in a number of years. We used to talk to him once or twice a year and get dinner like once or once a year, basically. Yeah. And we haven't for six years, maybe. I don't think I've talked to him for six years. Is that because um, he doesn't reach back, or you just don't no, no, feel no. the need to call him? Or I haven't. Yeah, I mean, like his involvement is was always as if we ever need him. 
let him know and he'll, you know, he'll take it's our It's kind of cool to have Jeff Bezos as a friend. I mean, why wouldn't you just call him and have dinner? It's kind of dope. Well, I think he's probably got a lot of other interesting friends in the world. I'm way down on the list. It's probably as far <laughs> down as you can get. So anyway, I mean, we've learned a lot from Jeff, but we haven't relied on Jeff for, for many years. Um, learned I'm, some great things from him early on. Yeah. We still talk to his office because we have to give them our numbers. We're an LLC. So Jeff gets distributions every year. Oh yeah. my God, he gets his distribution every yeah, year. He, he made a oh wonderful Lord. investment. He hasn't he hasn't gotten his, you know, he hasn't sold his shares. He gets distributions every year. He's made way more money back from that than anything else. Millions and he still owns all of his shares. So wow. he got a really sweet deal. Um, and uh, You ever I mean, think of just saying, hey, can we just buy you out and get you off the cap table so you don't have to worry I, about this K1? Honestly, I would like to. Yeah. I would like to. David, all right, well, Jeff like listens to, to the show. Complicated. So <laughs> it's Jeff, very complicated. Uh, just this is a message, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Hey, uh, you put in to 5,500. How about we give you 10X? We call it a day. You got, got the <sighs> distributions, and uh, it's one less thing on your tax form. You got a complicated yeah, you can tax work it form. Out. I'll, I'll talk when out. I see Jeff, I'll yeah. bring it up. Please. Uh, <laughs> 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 all right, listen, Jason Freed. Uh, you're you're a delight, and uh, I'm glad we finally got to do this. Say hi to David for me. If you haven't tried hey.com, go ahead and give it a shot. It's pretty great. I have to say, um, for a 1.0, it's up there. Uh, you're, one of, you're one of the great entrepreneurs of uh, our era, and so continue to success, Jason. Thanks for coming on the pod. Well, that's and, very kind. Thanks for having me on. It's good to finally talk to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we'll see you all next time on This Week in Service. Bye-bye.